Welcome, Alternative News listeners. This is 91.7 KOOP Community Radio. This is bringing light into darkness, news, and analysis. I'm your host, Pedro Gatos, and we are transmitting from Austin, Texas, for your listening edification. Today is Thursday, December the 22nd, 2022, and this show will be rebroadcast on Monday, December the 26th, 2022 from 6 p.m. to 7 p.m. Central Standard Time. Just a reminder, the opinions expressed on bringing light into darkness are my own and those of my guests and not necessarily those of Co-op Radio. We welcome an ongoing dialogue with our listening public. All questions and comments on the content of the show can be emailed to pedro at pgatos00 at gmail.com. That's P Gatos, the number zero zero at gmail.com. At KOOP.org. All comments are welcomed and can be sent to Pedro at P Gatos zero zero at gmail.com. That's P Gatos zero zero at gmail.com. Many of the shows are archived at PedroGatos.org. This is our 138th post COVID show. A new world, but the same place. So stay tuned for a very informed and documented dialogue. Thank you for joining us, and we hope to have a recording of the show up on pedrogatos.org website for your closer scrutiny within the week. Again, thank you for joining us tonight, and thanks for inviting your friends to join us in future shows. So stay tuned. But first, in the battle of ideas, let's get ready to go to war. Welcome. This is Bringing Light into Darkness, Monday News and Analysis, with your host, Pedro Gatos. Again... Thanks for joining us. We have a sensational show tonight, as quite frankly we have every Monday night. If your interest is to get as close to the truth as any news and analysis show will allow you, then you are in the right place. Welcome to Bringing Light into Darkness, where we invite you to join in our weekly pursuit for social justice. A pursuit where we seek to separate fact from fiction and where we acknowledge uncertainty, where we seek to deconstruct deceit by identifying where unproven allegations are presented as fact through repetition in the absence of evidence, and where uncertainties are approached from a humble, critical thinking perspective, because our interest is in deconstructing deceit and oppression, not enabling it. Tonight, we continue to bring unreported and underreported news regarding the Ukraine-Russia-NATO conflict. Our guest, Mike Whitney, investigative journalist, returns to bringing light into darkness to bring light as to why President Zelensky addressed both houses of Congress and to shed geopolitical light on potential motivations surrounding the Russia-Ukraine-NATO-US crisis. Enjoy. Welcome, Alternative News listeners. Today is Thursday, December the 22nd, 2022. This show, Bringing Light into Darkness, will be aired on Monday, December the 26th, 2022. On the other side of Christmas Day, this is 91.7 KOOP Hornsby, Austin. This is Bringing Light into Darkness. I am your host, Pedro Gatos, and I'll be introducing our guest very shortly. I wanted to preface the show tonight with a theme that we address regularly throughout bringing light into darkness, actually, and and that is the content of the show, of bringing light into darkness. It's often contrary to deeply felt beliefs by a substantial number of our listening audience, including close friends of mine. So I get 
remarks suggesting why don't you have more pro-U.S. foreign policy guests on bringing light into darkness? And the short answer is because that is the dominant narrative. We are already inundated with that narrative, a narrative in our research we often find inadequate, incomplete, and misleading, and we seek to bring light into that darkness. And this show is predicated on a couple of things. One is the belief that there is an inordinate amount of uncritical and unconditional support for our foreign policy interventions, you know, whether in Syria, Libya, Honduras, Yemen, Ukraine, and throughout the countries of the South, and on and on and on throughout our history. In fact, there is great profiteering connected to elite levels of corporate America as a result of our foreign policy, which goes unreported. Also, in fact, a handful of corporations that we've mentioned on the show before project close to 80% of the information that's made readily available to American news consumers by the mainstream media. So it's kind of like a circular logic where the people that have the most wealth are the ones that are generating the most information that we digest as quote unquote news. And in, in that process, in fact, quite a bit is left out of the narrative. So bringing light into darkness addresses many of those narratives from a position of critically evaluating their claims and using history, history of our U.S. foreign policy behavior and our foreign policy claims and the accuracy of them or inaccuracy of them as a tool to help approximate or at least get as close to the truth as possible. That's what we try to do. And in order to do that, we bring voices that are shunned by mainstream media, positions and information that is left out of mainstream media. So you can judge the veracity of those claims and that data while formulating your own analysis of what's going on in the world. That is what bringing light into darkness means. The other thing I wanted to mention that the show is predicated on it's in defense of humanity. That may sound pretty grandiose, but that is why you hear us saying and using the term majority population outcomes regularly throughout our broadcasts, because that is what demonstrates a real democratic outcome, which is best for uh, the majority population. And the inverse reality that we have today is reflected by the gross wealth inequality that our foreign policy promotes and our mainstream media ignores. And we seek to bring light to that reality in darkness because the result of that reality is majority populations throughout the world unnecessarily suffer huge levels of misery. But anyhow, getting back to the foreign policy issue, bringing light into darkness addresses many of these narratives from a position of critically evaluating their claims and using that history of U.S. foreign policy behavior, lessons of that foreign policy behavior to help approximate that truth. And the research that I do and people connected to the show do, and the solicitations and the people I counsel with is predicated on this record of, of accuracy or inaccuracy of their public writings. And so when we invite people on to bringing light into darkness, the people we bring on have been vetted significantly and have, over time, those that have revealed that they are closer to the truth are invited onto bringing light into darkness to share their research findings. And also because they're not afraid to admit when they're wrong, and it's okay to be wrong as long as you're trying to get at the truth and admit when you are wrong. So we always, therefore, welcome and encourage anything that is said on bringing light into darkness for our listeners to question. We include the email address for that purpose. 
We can provide transcripts of many of our shows then for you to review and find the exact areas in which we allegedly misspoke or whatever, and, and that will be reexamined. Anyhow, this theme is just one that will be repeated in different ways throughout the upcoming year and wanted to express appreciation for all of the listeners that listen to Bringing Light into Darkness and wish you the best and safest holidays. With that being said, I wanted to turn our attention to the focus of the show tonight. According to reports that are very recent, the House and Senate lawmakers have agreed to this omnibus package. It's a massive spending bill to keep the government going after Friday of this week to get into the next year. It includes about $45 billion in new Ukraine aid. And that's $8 billion more than President Biden was uh, reportedly asking for to finish out the year. This is being reported by uh, Kelly Vlahos in Responsible Statecraft on December 20th of 2022. She goes on to say that if it passes, it will mean U.S. assistance to Ukraine and its war against Russia will top out at more than $100 billion just since the Russian special operation began some 10 months ago, or actually about $110 billion. Mm -hmm. And this includes humanitarian economic aid, but the overwhelming majority of aid is military aid, resulting in steady flow of weapons into that country since Putin declared his special operation and invaded Ukraine back in February of this year. This will be the fourth package for Ukraine. The first was after the invasion uh, back in March, and that was for $13.6 billion. The second was $40 billion in May. The third was $12.3 billion, which was attached to the continuing resolution in September of 2022 to keep the current budget going. So all of that comes out to that, what, about $65 billion. And if you add the $45 billion, that this omnibus package is projecting, then that's where you get the $110 billion. The same week, the Ukrainian embassy hosted a reception, or the same month, I should say. This is an article by Jonathan Goyer of Vox, December 16th. So he's talking about at the beginning of December, there was the 31st anniversary of Ukraine Army's armed services and events like this that they had at the embassy, at the Ukrainian embassy, are part of the social calendar of Washington's smart set, he writes, with hobnobbing diplomats, think tankers, journalists, and U.S. officials. Guests took photos with the Ukrainian ambassador. Even the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, Mark Milley, showed up. He goes on. The invitation was very interesting, he says. The logos of the military contractors, Northrop Grumman, Raytheon, Pratt & Whitney, and Lockheed Martin were emblazoned on the invitation as the event's sponsors below the official Ukrainian emblem and elegant blue script that said, the Ukrainian ambassador and defense attache request the pleasure of your company. Quote, it's really bizarre to me that they would put that on an invitation. One think tank told me, speaking on the behalf of the writer here, uh, the fact that they don't feel sheepish about it that's interesting, explained an academic. Both spoke on the condition of anonymity, and they regularly attend these embassy events in Washington. That Ukraine and those U.S. military contractors have a strong relationship is not surprising. America's allies and partners around the world bought some $50 billion in U.S. weapons last year. The U.S. arms sales rebounded back to $50 billion in fiscal year 2022. And this is by the BreakingDefense.com site in October. 
estimation, but they said U.S. arms sales to allies and partners bounced back with a total of $50 billion in sales cleared in, in 2022, a big jump from some $35 billion the preceding year, which is a 30% increase. So there's a lot of profiteering going on. Anyhow, moving on, these four companies produce some of the most high-profile missile defense systems, anti-tank missiles. These are the things that Biden has sent to Ukraine since Putin invaded in February. The explicit sponsorship indicates how intimate major military contractors have become with Ukraine and how much they stand to gain from the war. It's been good business for the United States defense contractors. And among the biggest winners are Lockheed Martin, Raytheon, Northrop Grumman are the top ones. Each of their stocks have climbed since Russia's invasion with Lockheed's stocks jumping 38% in this year alone. Moving on, I wanted to relate our show to some of the comments that Joe Biden and Zelensky made last night. And at the White House earlier in the day. Biden indicated that you've shown your strong stand against aggression in the face of the imperial appetites of autocrats and his framing of Russia as the great aggressor of the world. When we intervene in a country, it's always to bring democracy to them. When Russia does, it's an act of an autocratic aggressor. The fact that our mainstream media do not challenge this double standard reflects its inherent and fatal mainstream media bias. We've talked about how Dr. Martin Luther King thought we were the great purveyor of violence in the world. And the fact that we have some 700 military bases and Russia has Mm. just a couple outside of its own former Soviet Union territory, I think, suggests a pathway closer to the truth. If we are really trying to get at who is the overwhelming threat to world peace. Meanwhile, the U.S. has been involved in a number of imperial adventures in all of these countries of the South, as well as Syria, Libya, Iraq, etc., while Russia, their foreign policy should be compared perhaps in that light as well. Any type of war is sickening and horrific, so we're against all of that on this show. Moving on, the language that Zelensky, referring to Russia as a terrorist nation, and the fact that they, or his word, they burn down and destroy everything they see, send thugs to the front line, they sent convicts to war. He goes on to say that Russia started this unprovoked and criminal war. That is a terrorist state. You could probably go through there and find that language at least a half a dozen times. That it's a terrorist state and that they demand compensation for all losses from this war, which is not a bad thing. People that are victims of war should get compensation. But anyhow, what I wanted to really get to before we get to our guest is the one thing we do not get from our mainstream news vendors, nor our foreign policy leaders, is a relative understanding of how these conflicts have affected civilians. I've never been to war, but I know war is horrific and must be avoided and ended as soon as possible once it starts. And an example of what happens in war, if we go back to the United States invasion of Iraq in Mosul, some nine to 11,000 civilian deaths occurred in Mosul in a matter of a number of months. And this is evidence that AP finally brought forward months after the occurrence. Of course, the United States was not responsible for all of those casualties, but well over 3,000 at least of those were directly from U.S. forces. In just this century, if you look at Yemen, in Syria, in Libya, in Iraq, we are talking about civilian deaths that are in the millions, in the multiple millions, as a result of U.S. foreign policy promoted interventions. And I thought it's interesting in that light that we also could look at Ukraine because on August 4th of 2022, 
Amnesty International and its piece called Ukrainian Fighting Tactics and Dangerous Civilians accused Ukrainian forces of committing war crimes by stationing troops in artillery in or near schools, hospitals, and residential buildings, thereby using civilians effectively as human shields. And such practices by Ukrainian soldiers were identified in 19 different towns and villages. These incidents did not just theoretically endanger civilians. There is evidence, according to Amnesty, that return fire by Russian troops on these positions led to non-combatants being killed. And we'll get to that subject in a minute. How many Ukrainian casualties have there been? But anyhow, most residential areas where soldiers located themselves, this is again still in this article by Amnesty International, but they were uh, soldiers located kilometers away from the front lines. Viable alternatives were available that would not endanger civilians, such as military bases or densely wooded areas nearby or other structures further from any residential areas, suggesting this was by choice. International humanitarian law requires all parties to a conflict to avoid locating to the maximum extent feasible military objectives within or near densely populated areas. Other obligations to protect civilians from the effects of attacks include removing civilians from the vicinity of military objectives and giving effective warnings of attacks that may affect the civilian population. NPR rushed in just two days later on August the 6th, 2022, in an article to trash the report by reporting that Amnesty was apologizing due to the blowback it was receiving by Ukrainian interests and Western interests fighting Russia. But they did not dispute, the apology that is too, did not dispute its primary findings that Ukraine military are using human shields. It really is disappointing how NPR, whether it was the coverage of the Honduran coup in 2009, the US-led illegal NATO invasion of Libya in 2011, its coverage of Syria in 2011, all of these U.S.-promoted insurgencies, to name just three examples, they've consistently resulted in carrying the water for our U.S. foreign policy missteps and misled the U.S. public. Only months and months later do we find the real yeah. truth. And it's because they fail to provide important factoids that contradict the mainstream U.S. foreign policy rationalizations of the day. And this is what bringing light into darkness seeks to do, namely bring to light what is left out the contradictory information that is completely ignored by the mainstream media, bring it to the public to challenge the mainstream narrative and let the public decide based on a more informed position of what to believe. But unfortunately, we have a much smaller listening audience. And importantly, this is much more than a right and wrong issue. It's an issue that brings or ameliorates suffering to millions of people throughout the world that our foreign policy impacts. Anyhow, getting back to the amnesty apology, they said we fully stand by our findings. In the statement on August 7th, the rights group refused to back down on their assessment. It found instances where the Ukrainian forces had located themselves right next to where civilians were living, uh, therefore potentially putting them at risk. And then final quote on the subject, Amnesty International deeply regrets the distress and anger that our press release on the Ukrainian military's fighting tactics has caused, end quote. And the head of Amnesty International, their Ukraine office, he resigned in protest, accusing the rights organization of parroting the Kremlin propaganda. These are the type of people that too often lead so many of these, quote unquote, human rights organizations, by the way. Anyhow, and President Zelensky 
said the rights group had tried to, quote, amnesty the terrorist state and shift the responsibility from the aggressor to the victim, end quote. In the context of this horrific war in Ukraine and in the war in general, I just wanted to share that the U.S. public, I think we need to be more considerate of the loss of lives that go on with any civilians, right? But those loss to death also occur from U.S. sanctions. And we are sanctioning close to a third of the world's population. I mean, it's unbelievable. That's more than 2 billion people. And a death is a death. I mean, if you're a mom, I would suggest a mother mourns just as much if she's lost a son or daughter, whether it's from war or from sanctions by such powerful outside forces they have no control over. And Mark Weisbrot and Jeffrey Sachs, two esteemed economists with the Center for Economic Policy Research, they wrote a piece back in 2019. I just wanted to highlight and said, quote, we find that the sanctions that have been inflicted in Venezuela have increasingly inflicted very serious harm to human life and health, including an estimated more than 40,000 deaths from 2017 to 2018. Think of that for a second as we get into these casualty rates of war, that 40,000 deaths from a single country for a single year by the United States imposed sanctions goes unmentioned anywhere in the day-to-day activities of our mainstream media. And they go on in their piece that these sanctions fit the definition of collective punishment of civilian population as described both in the Geneva and Hague International Conventions to what the United States is a signatory to. So they are also illegal under international law and treaties that the U.S. has signed and would appear to violate. So it is a war crime. Or a non-war economic humanitarian war crime. Anyhow, getting to the question of, of casualties, to Russia's military versus Ukraine military and civilian casualties. This is a subject completely ignored by the United States and Ukraine government and the United States media. So the American public gets nothing from it. If you listen to Zelensky and Biden at the White House and then Zelensky's speech last night, no mention of the numbers of casualties. We were told Russia is losing and that Ukraine is taking back cities creating this false image that Ukraine is successfully fighting Russia and that Russia must therefore be taking a a large casualty uh, hit vis-a-vis Ukraine. In fact, just yesterday, December 21st, in the East Room of the White House press conference I alluded to, Biden promoted that very talking point. Quote, Ukraine has won the battle of Kyiv. It's won the battle of Kherson. It's won the battle of Kharkiv. Ukraine has defied Russia's expectations at every single turn, end quote. No mention of the possibility of strategic retreats by Russian troops in order to minimize their casualty figures at all. And then finally, back on August 15th, 2022, we had Scott Ritter on, and he was referring to these civilian casualties. And he stated, historically in military conflicts, one-to-one ratio for every combatant that dies, in other words, a military dies, so does a civilian. So when you look at the history of war, that's what you see. If you see a million military die, then you probably see a million civilians die, is what he's saying. And by August 15th, according to his sources, there were some 250,000 Ukrainian soldiers that had been killed or wounded. 250,000. And of that number, 80,000 of those 250,000 casualties had died, which means historically there should have been 80,000 dead Ukrainian civilians, but there was not. 
the number was between eight to 10,000, he said at the time. And when you look at the intensity of combat that has created 250,000 casualties and 80,000 military deaths and only eight to 10,000 civilian deaths, relatively speaking, that's telling you what? It's telling you that the Russians are being very specific in their targeting, as opposed to what we did in Mosul. Compare the two and that there is not this indiscriminate slaughter of civilians that's being projected by our media. It's very specific targeting. So if we assume, and it is an assumption, if we assume that the ratios that were shared on August 15th are ballpark correct, and I have found no verifiable evidence to contradict their integrity, and I look at that subject regularly, and I've subsequently found more evidence to support them, then what does that tell us? And then as a last comment, much of the whole military fighting approach by Putin has been criticized by many. That really seems predicated on the notion that Russia has suffered huge numbers of casualties, an assumption I have not been able to verify. And in fact, have come to believe the opposite is much more likely true. Despite substantial evidence of military tactical missteps at the beginning of the special operation. And I'm no military expert, and I am no Putin lover, but I follow the precepts of Dr. Martin Luther King, that if you want to end war, you got to look at what people are fighting about. And there is no mention at all in any of the comments made by Biden or by Zelensky yesterday that suggest why Russia went to war. But before we go there, we need to take a quick pause for the cause. This is 91.7 KOOP Hornsby, Austin. This is bringing light into darkness, and we'll be back with our show in just a short moment. Stay tuned.